0: You know, I could say I wish I'd have known how difficult it is to make money at, but I don't know if I'd have done it, and I'm happy I did it, and I'm really happy where I'm at right now. I think it's one of those things where it's like, if you're going to do it, you just got to be like, there's no other option. This is it. Either I'm going to be broke the rest of my life doing this, or I might have some success and I'm still going to be doing this, but there is no other doing anything else. I feel like the money comes if you're good at it you know and if you care about it that was
1: jared hirschland talking about making a living in music and this is so you work in entertainment my name's adam klaus and i've been a full-time voice actor for the last eight years i didn't really know that you could do that until i was already doing it myself which made me realize that there are thousands of jobs in the entertainment industry that i know nothing about but they're crucial to creating the content that we love this is the podcast where i talk to the people who do those jobs and my guest today, Jared, does a job that most people outside of the music industry would never even think about. He's one of the last people to touch a song before it's released to the public. And I take you to my conversation with him now. How's it going, Jared? Hey, yo. Good. Thank you for, uh, for doing this. Yeah, for sure. So, you work in entertainment?
0: I do. I am a recording engineer, um, mastering engineer. I don't do much mixing anymore, but I've done that in the past. Mainly okay. mastering these days.
1: So we're talking music here, yeah. obviously. How did you get into this?
0: I was in a band when I was younger. I was in my like early 20s and we did a couple, we recorded a couple of EPs and I just like totally fell in love with the recording process while we were doing it and just the studio felt just so like a big spaceship to me and I you know, I I never really loved being on the stage part of the band. I liked the making music and I liked the playing music with my friends and the recording and being in a studio. Was everything I loved without any of the stuff I didn't necessarily love. Gotcha. You know?
1: And this was in w- what town?
0: Uh, Reno, you? Nevada.
1: Okay. So this is, you're playing in bands in Reno and you're.
0: Yeah, all my friends played in different bands. It was kind of just, you know, the, the little punk rock scene we had going. It was a cool, cool town to grow up in because you were very sheltered in your own musical ways and you could do weird things and you didn't have to fit in the certain genre or whatever because really nobody else came to town back then now i think they've got a couple different venues there that are much nicer and bands are kind of that's one of the stops on the tour now but back when i lived there that was (laughs) they were playing shows in basements and you know little bars and things like that it wasn't like it is now
1: yeah yeah, those are those are so fun. I played in a band in high school that we were absolutely terrible. But yeah.
0: Oh, we two. So. <laughs> yeah. One of
1: the one of the venues in town was this kid's basement and his poor mother. She like let him get away with everything. <laughs> That's how like...
0: my friend Chris. Shout out to Chris his mom. So then um I was bartending in Reno and kinda of going to school at University of Nevada for studying psychology. And I just kinda of didn't really see myself going to school for like eight years and I didn't really love what I was doing and Figured I just needed to do something in music, and being in a band, I don't think I'm talented enough to make money that way. So I looked into the recording thing, and I thought about becoming an engineer. And how, you know, I think at that time I really kind of wanted to record myself or like my own ideas. Sure. And that's kind of why I went. And then after I did it for a while, now I really have no interest in playing anymore. I, I just like being a part of other people's projects and making them sound as good as I can make it make them sound. And then moving on to the next one.
1: Cool. So like right now, I know that you've done a lot of jobs in the past, but right now, would you say you're primarily a recording engineer or mastering engineer or what is really definitely
0: mastering? Um, I still record um, quite a bit. I just did a couple sessions for Ziggy Marley um, this last week. It's kind of like, you know, if somebody hits me up, then I'll either go to their studio like he's got his own or I have equipment at my place where I can, you know, do overdubs here, vocals, guitars, bass, like things like that. I wouldn't want to do drums in my room. It's a little too small. But
1: what this maybe is a stupid question, uh, but I take full liberty to have <laughs> this. What when you go into somebody else's studio, mm-hmm. how much a, of uh, like when you're sitting at the control panel or w- what's the right
0: term there? Yeah, yeah a desk.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, when you're sitting at that desk, how much of that is the same as what you're used to? Like, how many moving pieces are there? Because it seems like there's. I mean, we're. Oh, it
0: all depends. Yeah, it's, I mean, you can go to some studios where they have a. 48 channel 58 channel board and you know there's a patch bay and an assistant with you usually at places like that and you know you're kind of just picking what gear you want to use for that session and then hopefully you have somebody with you that's kind of helping you patch it in that works at the studio like most of those bigger places sure or like you know you'll go to somebody's home studio and it's not so much a desk but just pieces of gear that act the same way as a desk do okay i mean there's You know, when you think about a recording channel, it's like, it starts with a mic pre, and then you usually go to a compressor, then an EQ, and then back in to the, you know, DAW or whatever, Pro Tools, whatever, whatever you're using. Sure. So there's different ways, like at my, you know, my desk, I have, these are mic pre's EQs, and then below that are compressors, and I can kind of swap in and out what I want to use, so. Gotcha. the, the, The best studios are ones where they're very like fluid and they can change and you know yeah
1: and just for context we're sitting in your studio space right now and it does appear that there is like spaceship controls (laughs) behind you so that rings true for when you first fell in love with it yeah i've always wondered that because it is like you see i'm sure that you could record so i'm sure you have recorded stuff in here that sounds just as good as stuff that's recorded in the studio that's x amount of dollars an hour
0: yeah i think a lot of that is the room size too and what you know like what you need like i said in here it's a little tight for drums but like nowadays with recording it's all kind of frankenstein so usually what you would do unless the band really needs to play together you know and wants to do a record that way you go in, you have them play together and you kind of just focus on getting drums and maybe bass okay and then you know you record the band playing together but your main focus is the drums so everything's kind of separated you go in after that and then you come into a place like this maybe from a bigger studio and then you do like guitar overdubs bass like vocal like everything kind of separated sure you know so edit the drums and then redo everything kind of type thing
1: yeah yeah I got gotcha. you. It's almost like a scratch track, right?
0: Yeah, basically, Yeah, you're basically yeah. using like guitar, maybe vocals, like everything like that as a scratch. That can be hectic as far as just session like times go, you know? If you're recording a bit, I did 16, 17-hour sessions before that's wow. kind of what it was, you know?
1: And it's almost kind of like a casino energy, right? Like where there's no, you don't know what the sun's doing. It's very dark. Yeah, most yeah.
0: studios, yeah, very dark. You're just kind of just grinding, you know? I remember... Doing a couple, we worked. I worked on the Voice for the first two seasons of that show, and I swear we were doing 120 hour weeks. There was like a four man engineering team, and it was brutal. We were staying at the studio pretty much from downbeat Sunday morning, like at nine, till Monday at like noon, and like not sleeping. And wow! Like trying to get everything uploaded, mixed, mastered, had to be up on iTunes by that next Monday
1: so uh, how did you get into that
0: the voice um well i graduated let's, from school yeah so let's walk back further yeah uh i went to school in arizona i was in tempe it's called uh, conservatory of recording arts okay and basically it's a year-long like super rushed all the basics of recording like get you out there and i i did learn a lot but i think they they just slam you with so much and then you really don't learn until you get into a studio and you kind of see how it's done. And then, you know, whatever whatever you're doing, I think that's when you pick it up the most. So af- after school, I got a job at a, a studio called The Bomb Shelter that Eric Kretz, he was the drummer for Stone Temple Pilots. He owned it. Okay. And I think the first session I ever assisted on or, or i was actually like more of a intern like runner type situation i was getting coffee and just doing sure. stuff like that being a fly on the wall we did a session with brandon small um brendan brandon small uh for that death clock okay a metalocalypse it was like an old tv show like it's really cool if you haven't checked it out yet it was on adult swim a while ago okay so i worked at that studio for like three years really just got lucky enough that stone temple pilots during that time got back together because when they got back together eric came back into the studio and then we got to know each other and then he offered me like a job like a paying job because at that time i was not getting paid i was just so
1: three years no pay
0: well there's more like three months four months and then i worked there for three years oh gotcha okay after that he sold the studio probably 2010 2011 and I was kind of scared. I didn't have much to do, but uh, lucky enough, the one of the producers that was working at the studio a lot, he started producing the voice. Um, it was it was all the the tracks that you'd vote on that you like the full length tracks, the studio tracks. Okay. So it wasn't any of the live stuff that you saw on TV. They'd go record all those songs in a studio, and then people would use those to vote type thing. Okay. Um, so I worked on the first two seasons, got really, really burnt out, and then went into freelance. When I was in freelance, I was working for this guy, Dave Cooley, once in a while, helping him engineer, helping him set up mix sessions and stuff, and, uh, do editing, like, remotely. He liked my work, he offered me, um, he offered to teach me how to do mastering, and I started working at his studio. What? How long does that
1: take for you to learn mastering from him?
0: I probably was learning under him for another three years until I felt two to three years until I felt comfortable to do it on my own. And I just got like, I was doing smaller projects, smaller projects. And I got really lucky one day. um, Anderson pack came in. It was the Malibu album. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I mean, I knew right away and it was just crazy lucky because Dave, my boss at the time, he would have definitely been mastering it, but he was having a child that week. And uh, it's like, it needed to get done. So I got to I got a crack at mastering it. And it ended up getting nominated for a bunch of Grammys. I mean, it's pretty like timeless record. And I knew it. I knew it right when I was listening to it. I was like, this is this is insanely good. And just looking at the features looking at a lot of the producers just you know, you just knew it was knew it was going to be a hit right off the bat.
1: I listen to that album at least once a month. Yeah,
0: it's, it's good, so good. I still love it. I mean, and I, it's rare that I go back and li- listen to stuff that I worked on, especially that long ago, just to for fun. Sure. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah. You probably have a lot of scars uh, <laughs> wrapped up in it, but it's still yeah. good enough. So I'm not sure where the line is on recording engineer versus mastering engineer. Sure. Can you like dumb that down yeah, for me? Yeah,
0: so basically, when you record a record you're taking all the different elements and like, you know, you have a mic on a kick drum, you have a mic on a snare drum, even with drums, you can have up to 20 mics, you know, some, depending on what kind of engineer you are. Some guys like to do five mics, you know, there's all different types of drum micing techniques.
1: That's like half the board when you were talking about before when you go into a studio and there's a 48 channel mixer, that's like 20 of those would be just on drums, right? Yeah,
0: sometimes, I mean, depending on, you know, your type of thing, yeah, you'll have them all set up to where like this section, this huge section, this bank will be drums, this bank these five channels will be base these you know so you take all those elements that you've recorded and then you edit them blah blah blah. and then when you're when when everything's all edited and ready to go you mix it and that basically takes all the elements and makes them a left right mix okay I mean now they have like Dolby Atmos and stuff like that so you could do more like 7.1 things and you know it's like there's different types of mixing but when usually i'm thinking about it in a mastering sense it's a left right stereo mix okay so then that mix usually within an album some songs could be a little quieter some songs could be a little darker some songs could be a little brighter so when i'm mastering i'm kind of trying to make everything uniform within itself as a record and flow you know so you're doing spacing between songs you're doing things like so the record just flows evenly and one track doesn't jump out and sound different than the other ones as a whole. Gotcha. And I use EQ and compression and limiting and some de just different things to do that.
1: So you're not so much when you're on the mastering side of things, it's more the guitars are set where the guitars are set, the drums are set where the drums are yeah. set, but you're focused more on that whole bigger picture of everything.
0: Yeah, totally. And then, you know, also if, I'm hearing something. I'm, I'm in contact with the mixing engineer. I'm in contact with the producer usually. And I'm like, oh, this, you know, like the vocals get buried a little bit here. Can you send me another mix with the vocals up just in this part? Or, you know, you're doing a lot oh, of okay. stuff like that. So it's a lot of back and forth talking once everything's set, then, you know, you're, you you want to take the whole project and then make it loud. As loud as it is to, it needs to be, to be, to be competitive within the genre okay so like rap music nowadays is very very loud compared to maybe like some indie rock or I mean if you listen to old 70s records you can even see it if I pull it into the to the daw you can like just look at it and it's the waveforms smaller and it's more dynamic it's kind of moving like now everything is pretty like you know you want to get it as loud as you can without taking away from the the sound of the record because the louder you get the more you're limiting you're using and the more you're you're losing dynamics you're losing space you know it's just going to sound kind of harsh and weird if you're too loud so there's a fine line to ride and that's a big thing in mastering it's they call it the loudness wars because when you're listening to a song on the radio you want your song to be the loud one sure you want the next song you know right (laughs) because then it's like wow what is it you know it's like like and then radio still kind of uses that like spotify apple music things like that they're starting to do volume matching things okay to where you know you listen to spotify everything's gonna be kind of along the same volume level because they do that on the back end okay but then when you have it on the radio or in movies or you know whatever then uh you know you, you it's definitely you want to be loud without crushing the song if that makes sense
1: sure that was a question that i had when you're mastering are you mastering for just one medium completely or do you have like separate files of like okay this would be the vinyl album this would be a cd um
0: you you can't usually with the stuff that i'm working on i have a really good cutting engineer that i like his name's is Mick Ta- nick townsend um at will kind of tell me what I need to do and I usually I'm if I'm half we're we're working towards you know this master me and the mixer me and the artist me and the producer whoever are working so when we get it right I don't like to change it unless you know I need to for some reason like sometimes you know especially some hip hop records the bass it's like really blown out so sometimes for vinyl I'll have to shape it a little more you know mono maybe take dial it back a notch But usually I'm trying to use the same master different formats because, you know, like CD is 44, 16 bit. Okay. Like, you know, vinyl can be any, you know, it can be straight from tape to vinyl. So there's no sort of sample rate or anything like that. You know, a lot more information can be like, you know, saved on that analog format. Sure. You know, whereas the sample rate and thing, that's more of like a frame rate type thing. If you're talking about like okay. TV, you know, it's like different samples per second that it's taking of the audio file.
1: Okay. And that's like, like 44, 48. I feel like I know enough 44K, to ask stupid yeah, 44, questions.
0: 44, one is 44,100 samples per second. 48K is 48,000 samples per second. Gotcha. Um, 96K, 128, the, you know. The higher the sample rate, the more definition you're gonna get when you're drawing out that waveform, but it's still just taking little snapshots.
1: Is that something that can be like if I were in my car, stock stereo system, would I notice a difference in that? Um, possibly. I that?
0: notice it if I'm in, like, I have a really s- nice pair of headphones and I can, you know, tell on my speakers, like, you'll hear it with spatial stuff. The higher the resolution, higher the sample rate is going to sound like the reverb tails will last longer. Okay. Like you could kind of pick things out in like in space a little better. Whereas like an MP3 just sounds like flat to me. It's, gotcha. you know, it sounds like everything's at the same distance or whatever. It doesn't give you that like spatial sort of feeling like you're wrapped up in it as gotcha. much, you know. And then the bit depth is a lot to do too, because that's all dynamics. So if 16 bits, you know, it's like, eight bits per eight times 16 or whatever that's how much quiet to loud you can get gotcha and that's basically like how much the speaker moves in and out okay because that's all it is it's a magnet you know the speaker is just a magnet and whatever is happening with the waveform that's it's just moving air right moving air yeah. yeah that's all it is and then the microphone's just a speaker backwards
1: It's so funny how it's, it really is like actually simple, but it's so complicated. Yeah, it seems,
0: it seems way crazier than it is, but it's not, you know, you can make a a microphone out of any speaker. A lot of people use on kick drums, it's like a sub kick is what they call it. And it's basically just an NS10 speaker wired in reverse. And then when the, when the kick drum hits the speaker and then it moves it through a coil and then that's, that creates current and then it's. That's how you, you know, That's huh. it's all the same. It's just. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's so funny because the audio stuff to me is terrifying. Like to learn all the stuff with editing and all that. I think the best I can reason is that like, I'm a visual learner. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it, it's like, I why why doesn't it sound the way like I want it to sound? And I can't tell what needs to be done or anything like that. Because yeah. it's all just kind of gobbledygook to me.
0: I know. I mean, I know a bunch of mixers that'll purposefully just turn off their screens. So like they can't see it. Really? Then it forces them to hear like, I, you know, I'll sometimes do that like at night, like, you know, if I'm really getting into a song or something, I'll either turn around or, you know, just t- try not to look at it because I think your brain can trick you sometimes.
1: Sure. How long does it typically take when you get a project, um, w- assigned to a project or you're, you're, yeah, yeah. I mean, now, it's, it,
0: it happens a bunch of different ways, but yeah, like, uh, usually the artist will contact me. We'll have a quick chat, go over my rates and stuff. If he's, if he's into it, he sends me the files. Um, if it's a single, I can usually turn it around within a day. Like I, I work on it for like an, an evening and then go back, listen to it with fresh ears the next day. If I'm happy, then send it off. How often do you are you happy, or how often do you need? I, to change I feel like the, it, it, when I first I got the studio in 2020. Um, built out my own room and it took a little bit in the beginning cause I didn't know what to trust. But now that I've been working down here in the same environment for, you know, a couple of years over a couple of years, I know the gear, I know, you know, I know my speakers really well. I know the room really well. I can do it a lot quicker than I think in the beginning when I was like, just scared. Sure. Cause you also don't want to screw up, you know, cause you're as a mastering engineer, you're kind of the last stop in the line you know i mean obviously the artist has to approve in the end and but they expect the files to be correct when you deliver it to them and there's a lot of little things that can happen you know whether you bump a fader weird or you do it at the wrong sample rate or you know you have a clocking issue or and you have little pops and ticks that maybe aren't so prevalent but then when you you know hear it back on like after it's uploaded to spotify and if it has anything like that then that just looks bad on you. Sure. I mean, I've, I'm kind of neurotic about that, and I definitely don't want to be that guy, and I knock on wood haven't. But, um, you know, every time I put out a record, I'm still just go slow, double check, make sure it's how it should be, because, you know, I'd feel terrible if, like, an artist uploaded something that was my yeah. mistake. You know? Think, yeah.
1: So let's say that I I hire you, I give you my, my song to mix. How many times are you listening to that before you send it back to me?
0: Oh, mm, I mean, it's weird because I'm bouncing around. I usually listen to it right off the bat with nothing. Just get a quick idea of the song. And then as I'm listening to it, I'm tweaking. And then I'm usually grabbing or listening to little sections of the song. It's not necessarily like I'm listening to the whole thing all the way through, like sure. every time. Sure. I'm like, let's get to the loudest part of a song and see how far I can push it without it breaking down, you know, or sounding harsh or, you know, without me screwing it up. Let's see how far I can push that up. Sure. And then kind of work backwards towards the quieter parts because there's more headroom and, you know, the quieter parts, like you want them to be loud, but it doesn't have to be like the loudest, you know, sure. like if you get those loud, then your loud part's going to be totally squashed
1: and there within genres there's kind of like a standard of this is going to be output at like this will be yeah so it goes
0: by it's called LUFS is kind of the way we're measuring loudness these days okay um and some of the hip-hop stuff can be you know hitting minus three LUFS which is loud okay you know and then you know I would say a good middle of the road is like minus eight minus 12 okay spotify as a i think they knock everything down to minus 12. okay like within the app so i'm definitely going louder than that because if it gets picked up for tv or film or like whatever they want it to be louder if i delivered a project at minus 12 lufs people would be like this isn't even master, you know, like sure. yeah, I, I couldn't get away with it. I need to be much louder than that. But also you don't want to be just cranked down you lose everything that makes the song good just to get it aggressively loud. Sure. You know. That's the air conditioning, let me turn it off. My whole thing when I was building the studio is streamline. Like at recallable everything. If there's an issue with a mix, because I have people, you know, you'll do a song and they'll be like, the choruses of these two songs, I we need it to be 0.5 d- db brighter you know on the outsides because you know you can do like mid-side, mid side like eqs and things like so it's like things like that where i need to be able to go back easily recall all my settings from a, s- a session make that adjustment log it in and then go on to another project and then if they want next time hey can we go up to one db then be able to recall it again, make the change, and then, you know, like everything's just got to be fast. So do you,
1: if you're working with an artist multiple times, and let's say it's the second or third album that you have with them, do you have like presets from their old album?
0: No, um, I mean, I have kind of my starting points, like for certain genres that like I just have known, like now I just know like I like a four to one, or you know, a four to one ratio on, like, to start with, and then I can kind of play with it there as far as, like, my main limiter goes or things like that. Or maybe I know this mixer, I know how he mixes, I just know I'm going to brighten it up anyway, so I might as well just start with it.
1: Are you usually working with uh, a recording uh, engineer that you've already worked with? Um, A
0: lot of times it's always, like, I work with um, this guy Jeff Jackson quite a bit, or it'll be the same band. My buddy Tyler Strickland does, like, a lot of TV stuff. I've worked with him multiple times, like... Jimmy LaVale from the album Leaf. Um, my little brother's in a band called Post Animal. I've done all their stuff. Like, I just kind of know <clears throat> how they mix. So I know where I need to at least start. But I usually try to look at every project with fresh, fresh ears, fresh, just everything from scratch up. It doesn't really take a ton of time, you know? <laughs> like, gotcha. To go through. There's probably three or four things that I'm doing on every record. So
1: maybe this isn't a fair question to ask, but. It- do you see like a good amount of variety in terms of the projects that you get? Or are there times you're like, oh man, another hip hop album that came through? No,
0: I mean, it's all over. And now I just think it's with music, the way it's going, it's kind of going genre-less, you know, like everybody is drawing on all sorts of different ways, you know, and sounds and stuff. And you'll hear a shredding guitar in an R&B song, or you'll hear, you know, like, 808 samples in an an indie rock band or you know like things that you wouldn't hear before now it's like bands I feel like are experimenting with all sorts of different song types and structure and vibes and things like that so sure yeah it's just trying to keep it all fresh ears be excited about everything I mean that's the greatest part about working from my my place too is if I'm not excited I go play golf you know I do I do something like that and then, you know, I come back and then I'm I'm ready to go. And, you know, whereas when I was working for other people, that was tough to stay engaged, especially on, you know, whatever would happen and your girlfriend would dump you and you wouldn't yeah. feel like listening to a sad record all day. Over and you know? over and, <laughs> and over like, again. Yeah. Ugh.
1: Yeah. So you've been out on your own for how long now?
0: Oh, probably six years now because yeah, I was on my own for a couple of years before I got the studio and then it's been, about, yeah, five, five, six years, I think.
1: So were you able, did you have like a mini version of your studio that
0: you were using? Yeah. Before? I had a one bedroom apartment in Silver Lake and then I had pulled my bed out of the bedroom and I had, I think this desk and a couple of other things jammed into a small one bedroom and uh was, was living out in the living room. Like it was like a studio.
1: Cause you're primarily when you're, when you're mastering stuff, you're it's primarily just you, right? You're uploading files, maybe for somebody yeah, else to people. Listen I mean, I but.
0: I offer attended sessions, but I mean, especially since the pandemic, I'm not doing too many of them. I've had a couple where people come over and do it, but it's so easy now to just, you know, work on a track, upload it to my server, and then they listen to it on whatever you know they are used to listening to. Yeah, and then they give me notes, make adjustments, upload them back to the server. A lot of times, I won't even speak to my clients. Like it's all through email. Yeah, so, so many which is are going that way. I mean, I I don't mind it either way. You know. Yeah, I think coming into a studio too that you're not used to doesn't do much good, because you know I know these speakers, but you you might not. Sure. You know, I
1: definitely don't. Just for the record, it might
0: just sound good because they're just good speakers. To, so you know, the, you need to have a baseline. I feel like. Oh, okay. So if like you, I mean, for me. Like a lot of, I know a lot of engineers that have multiple sets of speakers and they're kind of always flipping around to see how it sounds on different speakers. I don't like that. It, that would just confuse me. Okay. Like, I just, I know how, I, I have these ATCs. I know how they sound when it's good and I know how they sound when it's bad. And like, I don't need any more confusion, you know? Sure. I'll flip it to mono once in a while. Like, so you take the stereo, collapse it to mono, and that, that gives me an idea of where everything's sitting, if any frequencies are compounding on each other, or if anything's out of phase or missing. Like, I can hear that. But I don't need to hear, like, a crappy set of speakers to know. You know sure. Like This is a random question, but when you go to a concert, do you wear earplugs? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. And I rare. I mean, if I do go to a concert, I'm not right up against the speaker. Right? Yeah. You know, I'm... I'm usually hanging in the back near the sound guy. Yeah. Cause that's where, you know.
1: You guys all know each other. You talk shop, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, and
0: that's where the, he's mixing it for that spot in the room. So, really, if you're at a concert, the best place to be is right next to front of house because he, that's where it's going to sound the best.
1: Oh, I never even thought about that, but that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. My wife got me headphones or earphones. I got them like maybe a year before the pandemic, but it was a whole new lease on life to go to shows with like actual good, like- Do they attenuate like each
0: frequency evenly instead of like, you know, where where everything sounds- Yeah, where it's just like you're stuffing cotton in your ears Yeah, like that. All the high end goes away and all you can hear is bass.
1: It just sounds like you turned everything down and I remember the first show that I went to. I was like, I, I think actually the band that I that I saw uh, was like, oh, they're not as good as I thought they were. <laughs> but um, so it's a double-edged sword. But
0: yeah, I used to. I mean, the amount of damage I probably did when I was in the band, like in my twenties, it's probably enough for a lifetime now. And now yeah. I monitor. I mean, based, like I usually monitor it. I have an SPL meter on this desk, so I know when I'm listening that it's always at the same level, which is really nice because. Then you're, you know, a lot of times people who aren't used to audio are just, like, louder sounds better. Sure. Which, yes and no, you know, like, it also can sound worse. So I like to keep it at 85 dB, and then I know where, like, using the meters and stuff, I know, you know, if I'm at, like, minus 8 LUFS at 85 dB, if it sounds good, it's it's pretty good. Sure.
1: What's the balance of the technical aspect of your job, right? Because there's like a pass-fail element to it. And then there's also this artistic element, right? Of like yeah. people are coming to you for a reason for what you do. How does that um, shape things, I guess?
0: Yeah, it was a lot different with mixing and recording and producing. Uh, mastering's a little bit more tech. It's a little bit more right or wrong, I feel like. I, th- I think the gear is a huge part of it. Like the gear I use, and that contributes a lot to the sound of my masters sure but i don't want to be putting so much my fingerprint on it like i do like if i'm mixing or if i'm producing you know like this i want it to just sound like the best the artist's song whatever can sound
1: you're like putting the polish on it
0: yeah you know a lot of times well what do you think of this song and i'm like well i'm not really even listening to it like that sure unless like it's very tech like i'm like this is either too loud not loud enough this is too bright not bright enough too dark not dark enough. you know whatever it's like a or b or a or b so with mixing and producing there's a lot more artistic leeway and you know we'll use this distortion pedal and have the guitar come like from the right and you know swoop around and then you know sure. whatever delay effect all that stuff it's like a lot more artistic stuff goes involved
1: And you've chosen to focus more on the mastering side of
0: things, right? I just think I'm better at it. And it's less questions for me. I'm just, I like jumping around from, I like working on a project for a few days, jumping onto a brand new one. You know, we were talking before when I worked on the Stone Temple Pilots thing, when they got back together, it was like, that was a year and a half of the same 12 songs. And I was like,
1: kind of (laughs) done. How much can they really change in that time?
0: I mean, those guys are amazing. You know, don't get—they're some of the best players, and they they have been doing it for, for decades. And you know, they're—they and they've studied. Uh, you know, these dudes like Jeff Beck and the Beatles, and like you know, all these guys that are just incredible, and they've gotten to play with them and learn from them. And you know, they're—they're they're getting real tweaky with like guitar tone, or like you know, using like different guitars, using different microphones, using different. Like, there's a lot of stuff like that, where they have the basic structure of the so song.
1: like same riff, different guitar. Yeah,
0: different the, or trying to, you know, doing a solo 200, 300 times and, like, you know, figuring out exactly where that can be. And then they're also thinking about how they can play it live, which, you know, it's like when you're in the studio and you're punching in and punching, you yeah. know, it's 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 a lot easier. But then you got to think about, in a band like them, how is this going to translate to the, for the stage show so i'm sure there was a lot going and like i said that was my first like assistant engineering pro- like big assistant engineering credit i think i was still very green and very just like trying to keep notes and trying to sure sit back and speak when spoken to and i mean that's a huge part of
1: well i mean what a huge opportunity yeah, it, was,
0: yeah it i mean it was incredible and plus like i mean i'm i think core was one of the first cds i ever bought when i was like 13 you know awesome. it was like it just felt there's been a lot of those surreal moments in this job where it's just like, wow, like what 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 is going on? <laughs> like, yeah.
1: That's awesome. With regarding pay, you have a day rate or is it hourly, or how do
0: you Um no I charge by uh the track. Okay. And then what I'll do too is I have you know, I charge one for self-release, one for an indie label project, and then one for major label projects. Gotcha. So it kind of goes up. You know, if you're on a major, I'm going to charge you more than if you're paying for it yourself out of pocket. Sure. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then if I'm doing recording, usually I do a day rate.
1: Gotcha. And then is are there residuals in... No. Not
0: for what I do. And I never would take them. I don't feel like what I i mean steve albini is famous for that yeah like, i was gonna say yeah steve he's uh he he's not about that i think it's the artist's work and i'm not points on a record i mean i guess if you're someone huge and i, I don't know if you're really putting your stamp on it or whatever maybe i, I don't know i've never never felt like that i've yeah. never worked on a project too that i think i would have made anything on so <laughs> that's what i mean <laughs> not like mastering No, no mastering engineer takes points gotcha like mixing that's a pretty common thing producing very common most producers take points sure i wouldn't even know how to keep track of it to be honest yeah i I do i like my i do i do all my own billing i mean that's my least favorite part of the whole thing is yeah that is the books and yeah you know i just i hate all that i wish i could just do this yeah, I hear
1: you. It's like the, the greatest thing that you get to work for yourself. But yeah. then all the back end of it of like, oh man, we got to keep track of all these receipts. For, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: I mean, that's another thing why I'm kind of designed the studio the way I did too, with how easy it is to recall, is I feel like I wouldn't want to do, I wouldn't want to take advantage of a kid that was just trying to get into the business like I got taken advantage of in the beginning. Because it, I just think this work for free, you know, model of, you Know being somebody's intern is just garbage, I yep. think. I think it's bad for the business, it, it creates a, a hyper competitive environment that doesn't benefit the engineers in any way. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you look at like TV and film, it's like you're not allowed to work past a certain, you know, they're all unionized, so it's like you, you know, there's all these rules set in place to where they don't get taken advantage of in music, there's nothing like that, and in fact, there's probably 10 people right behind you that would do your project for half as much as you'd do it for. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's, and I think that's an issue with this. There's a lot of these schools, but, you know, I, I do appreciate my school and what they did for me, but at the same time, they're giving out this false sense of hope and they're flooding the industry with people where there's not jobs for them. Sure. 5,000 or something kids graduate from those schools a month, like maybe more, Yeah. I don't know, at least when I was going to school. So there aren't 5,000 music jobs, yeah. you know, and I don't care everyone. where you live, Los yeah. Angeles, Nashville, New York. It's like there's, I'm hunting for those jobs. Like there's already people here doing that.
1: Do you find that your your business is hurting from the being undercut by people? or uh,
0: In the beginning? Yeah, now, no. Because now, I mean, I've been doing it long enough. I have my credits. I just think it's a lot harder to get credits. They have these major studios. You have to get in there. You have to work for free for however long being an intern if you're lucky you get hired on as a runner then you're making ten dollars an hour to work crazy hours picking up coffee and doing all cleaning and that that stuff then if you work there for another five years what then you might get lucky enough to be hired as an assistant engineer and you got to do that for a long time and then maybe the engineer will be sick one day, and then you get a chance to engineer, and th- you know, and then you can move up that way. It's just really, really difficult. Like I think I getting an internship at a smaller, mid-sized studio helped me in a way because there was only two of us guys working there. If something needed to get done engineering-wise, then I was the only one to do it. So sure. I got kind of thrown into the fire way quicker than I think I would. At another studio where I'd have probably been running coffee for you know another three years when I got to kind of jump right into it.
1: Sure. Do you still keep in touch with anybody that you went to school with, and are they still in the business? Um,
0: a few. I think I think my graduating class was like I want to say like sixty dudes or something, sixty guys and girls. I, I think there were only a couple couple girls, which that's. a, a A lot cooler nowadays too is there's a lot more women getting involved and i feel like in the you know even when i got into it like 10 years ago or 15 years ago it was kind of a boys thing you know and now like i think more girls are getting which is great and i think girls even have better hearing than guys for the most part i vaguely remember reading something about that they can hear higher frequencies like easier or something i don't you'd have to don't quote me on that but
1: all right, we're going to quote you on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Girls have
0: crazy ears. Um out of the 60 kids that I went to school with, um I think there's only like maybe 5 that are still doing it. Wow. And I think 3 of those dudes are working at like churches cuz that's a big job for audio engineers. They have those uh-huh. big mega churches sure, where sure, they sure. do like big worship shows and yeah, stuff they like have that. Yeah, the band and they have and So they do all the audio for like, you know, or what, I, I don't know. go to church, but yeah. <laughs> however, um, that
1: works. <laughs> it's not my scene either, but I'm aware of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, where do you? I mean, you have this great studio space now. Is the is the game of it just like keep getting as much work as you? Yeah, I think can the through?
0: goal has always been make your clients happy, and the, it'll come back. They'll recommend you. They'll come back. It's just serious. like it's growing. You're, it's really grassroots growing the business, you know, because I'm I'm not very good at marketing myself. I mean, I, that's one thing I've been trying, that's my new, this year's resolution or whatever to get, get all that stuff going a little bit more, post a little bit more on social media.
1: And social media, that's do, where Do you...
0: stuff like that, which I, again, I, I just don't like doing, but it's part of running a business and you just got to do it. Sure. But yeah, like I get a lot of clients because, you know, people will like malibu and then they'll look on the back of the jacket and they'll be like who mastered this record and then they'll that's kind of how i get my work more than people randomly stump stumbling across a website or something i feel like so
1: sure yeah it is kind of with social media i always feel like it's like you hit send and you're like what does this does it do anything happened?
0: and i i look at who's like looking at it and it's all my friends who i know they yeah. know what i do so it's not like i'm reaching anybody no yeah
1: this is maybe a little bit of an abstract question. You said you're the kind of the last line of defense in all of this. At that point, when you're, who do you, you send it back to the client, to the?
0: Yeah, it depends. I mean, if it's a self-released, it's usually going back to the client and then whoever they had mix it. You okay. know, because then those two guys are like listening to it and, you know, checking me and making, you know. A lot of times they'll be like, oh, can we get it a little brighter? Or, oh, can you make this vocal stand, stand out a little more? You know, just like small little moves like that. And then there's the bigger projects I do where you kind of send it off and then it's like you got to wait, you know, a week or so for everybody in the label to hear it and give their opinions. And then you get, you know, a list, stack of, of notes or whatever, yeah. you know, it's usually not that crazy. But there's been a couple projects that I think have been back and forth a few times.
1: What's the longest you've worked on uh, as a mastering engineer? I mean,
0: probably like over like a month, you know, like with emails back and forth. And it's not like I'm working on it every day. It's like, you know, I'll send them out, wait a few days for responses, get responses, make my adjustments, send those back, back and, you know. And then, I mean, I'm probably like the most I've done is like 10 revisions on a song or something. And that was a very, that one was very difficult to get going. Usually, if it's something like that where I can't get it within the first few times, it's usually a mixing issue. Because like I said before, I'm dealing with the two-track stereo mix. Yeah. So I can't just go and turn up a vocal in one part. You know, usually that's like if they're like, oh, like that's like a mixing thing. So then the mix guy turns it up, sends me a new mix. I run it through my settings again. You know, that seems like that's the easiest way to do it. But a lot of times, for whatever reason, they won't have that capability and then i'll just kind of have to figure out ways to do it on my end you know
1: and that's like different tools that you have
0: yeah like mid side is a big thing so i can affect the sides differently than the center okay of the information so like you know i can do a lot of like turning up a vocal in the middle just by like finding the frequency where the vocal lies and using that eq to bump up just those frequencies in the center you know and not the sides gotcha. or cutting you know Or whatever you got to do.
1: Interesting. I wish I knew a lot more about audio. (laughs) (laughs) So on these like uh, bigger, bigger projects, like a major label thing, how many engineers are signing off on that? I know that's going to vary by project. Yeah, it
0: depends. I mean, if this is kind of strange, but when you talk about a producer in rock and roll or like an old producer, you know. You're talking about someone who's kind of like along in the studio and they're like helping the band make decisions about like, you know, anything like where this guitar should be panned, what guitar to use, like how this, how the structure of the song should go, like stuff like that. When you're talking about like hip hop nowadays and you say producer, a lot of times what they're meaning is like the guy who made the beat. Yeah, yeah. So and in most records, there's multiple producers or beat makers on the record so and and a lot of times vocals are recorded in different spots and every so it can get a little tricky trying to line them all up and then when you send it off it's got to go through a lot more people you know because it's going to all those different like whether they bought the song or the guys you know has a bigger a lot of major label stuff the producer the beat maker will want a say you know in how that goes sure or they like the head of a and r or like you know any number of record executives can pipe in and say stuff like that.
1: Everybody gets paid to have an opinion. In sure. Yeah.
0: I mean, which is valid. It's it's that's why I charge a little more because <laughs> sure. it's it's a little harder to appease everyone. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose when you're working with some of the more indie stuff, like they won't even necessarily know what they like, what to say, right?
0: Yeah. It's. I mean, with mass, like I just feel like it's pretty easy. It's brightness darkness loudness you know is this too loud is it not loud enough did i we lose some movement by making it too loud is it does it sound muddied you know like whatever it's fairly easy or usually i can guide them through it you know and be, they'll be like oh like something's not right or you know this one sounds a little different than that one can we try to make this one sound a more like that one and then sure. it, then i can be like oh all right like what am i listening to you can kind of what discern what to they happen. like yeah. yeah can you get away from music like do you listen to music for enjoyment or i do it? not <laughs> i mean i do like i'll i'll put them on like if you know if i'm playing video games or something i'll put on like some some music at night or whatever or if, you know me and my girlfriend are having dinner we'll put on some music but like if i'm in my car I'm strictly like howard stern or like you know whatever like podcast i'm into at the moment like sure. i do need a break like and I'd go on, like, when I was younger, I was a freak about, like, going on, like, SoulSeek or, like, Napster, and, like, looking, just getting as much, like, I'd find a band on MySpace, I'd fa- find out who they followed, what bands they fo- you know, and then just be, and download, like, 20 bands, like, discographies, you know, and just be a freak about finding new music, and now I've kind of lost that. And I don't know if that's turning something that you love into a job, like, that type of thing. But I just don't enjoy it as much anymore. It could also just be like a
1: regular phase.
0: You know? Yeah. Because
1: I feel like I, I used to be in, so much more into bands. And yeah. If I well, was, yeah.
0: In your tw- Guys in their 20s are probably a little bit more yeah. into finding the new thing than guys in their 40s. I mean, and I still... I just think there's just so much out there. I just read some statistic that it was like 60,000 songs per day are uploaded to Spotify right now. And it's just wow. like... If you think about that, like, how do you not get burnt out? Because like back in you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s, you had record labels and they'd kind of be, they'd, they'd filter out all of that and yeah. they'd be like, okay, we like that, you know, here's this band, we're going to put this band out. And then there's really no other way to get music. And now anyone with a Pro Tools rig yeah, can upload their songs on the Spotify. And it's just, there's so much to listen to. Like, whereas before it's like, if you liked ACDC or whatever, there was 20 bands that you might like other than that. And then that was it. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. It, it meant so much more to be, like, in a location, whereas now if you have an internet connection, it doesn't matter. You can have access to all the latest and greatest. Yeah,
0: totally. So is
1: this something that you knew? Like, when did you start to really zero in on mastering versus all of the other stuff? And how long did it take from having that idea
0: to uh, getting into a point where you were doing it for Well, yourself? I was, the last, when I was working on The Voice, one of my jobs was to, like, listen to the tracks after they'd been they were being mastered at universal and then i would get them and i would part of my job was to sit there and really listen to it and give an opinion and then that's i feel like it took a long time to even know what i was like listening to type thing i feel like you need to know a lot about how a song is put out and you need to be a being a lot of different things you know you need to be like how does this compare to this?
1: How long did it take you to get to
0: um, the point pro- where you're... Well, I worked under Dave for like three years. So it was probably a good three years of working on his equipment, listening to stuff through his speakers, you know, messing around with his gear.
1: Are you amassing your own gear while this is happening?
0: Um, I was working through him. Once we stopped working together, I... Uh, had another buddy that we were sharing a space with and we had some kind of shared gear situation going on okay and then when i got my own place he bought all that stuff off me and then i bought all new stuff that i wanted and a lot of the stuff is just kind of me knowing that this is the flow that i want like with gear and like this is where i want stuff to be patched in this is the type of stuff and then going on youtube and checking out like a lot of the mastering engineers that i like of mueller uh checking out his studio like knowing how dave's studio was set up checking out that like going on youtube and just looking at other dudes studios which i wouldn't have known anything about unless i had worked under you know someone for a while sure it's not i wouldn't have known what the gear was i wouldn't have known it you know now i can like kind of look at a picture of someone's studio and be like oh i see what i see what they're doing i see what they're using
1: so the way you have it set up now is this is this the cadillac for you is it it i love it
0: i mean it's this is my dream i don't there's nothing that i'd want anymore really than what i have right now it's like basic enough it's where it's easily recalled and it's got enough function where i can i feel i would feel comfortable working on any record on on this exact console
1: the Only reason I was surprised is because it seems like with musicians and like that, we're there's always like that next piece, and it's like, well, I think
0: these the a lot of the Y stuff I have, I believe they're like from the late 80s, early 90s. Oh, wow! And like this stuff, I mean, the, the mass select stuff that doesn't get better or any like they're not coming out with anything newer that's going to be better than that, it's sure, like you know, these they don't lose value or anything like they're always going to be those kind of like special pieces, you know, that people will always use.
1: Sure. It looks very impressive <laughs> for, for whatever that's worth. Is there anything that you wish that you would have known about this world before you got into it?
0: I don't know. That's a weird question. Cause I, um, you know, I could say I wish I have known how difficult it is to make money at. Sure. But then i i don't i don't know if i'd have done it and i'm happy i did it and i'm really happy where i'm at right now i think it's one of those things where it's like you just got if you're gonna do it you just got to be like there's no other option either this is you know this is it either i'm gonna be broke the rest of my life doing this or i might have some success and i'm still gonna be doing this but there is no other doing anything else Cause now if I try, if I, I don't even think I could go back to another job right now. I'm so used to this, you know? Sure. It's, it's I, I love working for myself. I love working on music. I love the feeling I get from someone being like, dude, like you made my song what I thought it should be, you know? And I love hearing it against other people's songs on the rate and it's competitive and it sounds, you know, yeah, like that's, that's the best thing for me. You're getting nice emails or things like that. You know, I feel like the money comes. If you're good at it, you know, and if you care about it.
1: Do you, when you listen to something, are you, the the first time you hear it, do you think, oh, this is, this is it? Or like, this one's going to be tough to get Uh, Both.
0: I mean, yeah, like, like I said, I listened to that Anderson record and I think you could have mastered it on a laptop and it would just probably still been a hit. It's just, it's just good songs. It's just, they're just amazing songs. And then there's other records that I get that I'm like, ooh, like, you know, but... Also, it's not my job to judge like that, you know. I'm, I'm just because I might not listen to it, like doesn't mean it's bad. And it, I mean, that's one thing that I've always thought about music is it's just totally subjective. For sure, it's there's no such thing as good or bad music. It's all just music, and it all has its spot, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, you could like some of those old punk records, like you put them on, and you're like, oh, this like to me if I'm like that's not how I would master a record. But there's also something like special about listening, you know, that yeah, they don't not everything needs to be like polished to shit, you know, and like sound like, yeah, fucking amazing.
1: Yeah, I think it loses a little bit of its luster with that. Because it. I, I think it's so funny now with Spotify, I'll listen to a band that I used to listen to, like when I was in high school, mm-hmm. and then they'll throw another band that's effectively the same band in front of me and i just cannot listen to it it's like yeah. nails on a chalkboard but then when i, st- I like pull back and actually look at him like this is the same stuff that i'm like totally. losing it over yeah but it's a time and a place and who am i to say that this is good and this is i bad. think it's that's just, yeah
0: that's what yeah. it is it's a little different than movies and stuff i mean obje- like you can be out of tune and stuff or you yeah know, but i mean listen to yoko she's still <laughs> she's i don't know it is what it is
1: yeah for sure <laughs> there's there's room for everybody yeah well uh where can people find you
0: uh, instagram it's j hirschland or jlh audio services is my little instagram page okay I'll link um, that that. you can email me jared.hirschland at gmail.com excellent <laughs> and then uh yeah just uh check me out just google me
1: excellent well thanks so much for the time jared yeah, yeah. i really appreciate it thanks I don't know about you, but I learned a lot about something that I've never even thought about in that conversation. If you want to see the spaceship desk Jared is currently piloting, check out the new Instagram at so.youworkinentertainment. It's the name of the show with a period instead of a comma. That's S-O period entertainment. I'll be posting additional content there in the future, so make sure to follow so you don't miss it. And if you like the podcast, subscribe and tell all your friends. This isn't the kind of thing you need to keep secret. Thanks for listening.